in a crude laboratory in the basement of his home. Welcome to the CEO Raider podcast. It's your host, John Maeda. We're going to do a two-part series today. We're going to talk about what makes for a quality CEO, the attributes by which we measure CEOs and CEO Raider, both the good and the bad and the ugly. But first, a message to entrepreneurs. I spoke with an entrepreneur friend this morning. It's actually an email chat. And technology company talking to the venture capital community. This is in Silicon Valley. And I won't say what the what the company is, and it's beyond the idea stage. There's an active live product. Call it prototype because it's pre-revenue. Call it whatever you want. Call it early stage. And looking for capital, I guess a couple or several VCs have said, well, you know, XYZ company's already already doing that. And maybe this is where the VCs need a little bit of perspective. And this doesn't apply to all VCs, but what I noticed sort of consistently when I was a, a banker and I would regularly meet with the venture guys, primarily to discuss mid-stage and later stage companies and their portfolio and such, trying to get a sense as to which companies may, may go public over the next 12 to 36 months and where I should focus my effort in terms of learning about a particular space. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. But it was clear that the venture folks didn't have a handle on the public company markets. Maybe the late stage guys that would take, uh, you know, they'd go from that last round, last private round, and then be with the company through the IPO process and, and hang around for, you know, at least until the first secondary offering, this type of thing. But most of the, the venture community, particularly the guys that really do early stage and aren't around in the later rounds or out on the IPO, they don't have a great handle on the public markets. And if they did, nine times out of 10, they probably would not give that feedback to an entrepreneur that, oh, so-and-so is already doing this because they would know that pick a sector within tech, within financial services, oil, gas, energy, subsectors in tech, software, further subsectors, software as a service, fintech. Show me a space that has just one company. If there's an industry vertical, a sub-vertical that has just one company, it's not a, a, a vertical, it's not a space. And that company is truly a one-off, and I don't know if it's, you could even call it a company, right? It's more like a, a feature set. And because of wacky regulations, you know, I'm not talking about situations where you have sort of natural monopolies. That's not what I'm talking about. This conversation that I had, this wasn't somebody who's trying to build the next Facebook that's going to look the same, talk the same, act the same, behave the same, but just be Facebook with a different name. That's not what I'm talking about here. So I think some of the, the, the earlier stage Venture guys ought to get perspective. Talk to your colleagues who do later stage stuff. Talk to friends that you may have that invest in the public markets. There are a number of asset management companies in the Bay Area. And those public company investors will tell you the same thing. Any space has more than one company. Furthermore, and I remember getting to this sort of, I don't want to say an argument, but having this discussion with public company investors when I was on the sell side. And similar conversation. Well, this space already has one or two leaders. Again, if it's a space, just because you have one guy throwing off a few billion in revenue, another guy throwing off a couple billion in revenue, doesn't mean somebody else can't make a living throwing off 50 million of revenue, 100 million of revenue, 200 million of revenue. I think most mature spaces typically have two or three companies at the top that take about 80% of the revenue. And ideally, yeah, you'd like to be one of those companies. But it's never just one company in a space. It's never just three companies that completely own 100% of revenues in the space. Even at 80% of revenue, a space can still be attractive, right? I mean, then there could be multiple billions of spend left over for the 20%. 
So that's just word of advice for, for entrepreneurs if you get that answer. You know, educate the guy on the other side of the conversation, the venture person. And if, if it's just their way of telling you they're not interested and don't you know waste your time. But that's not a valid response. So back to CEO land, back to how we measure CEOs at CEO Radar. When I say how we measure, we provide you, the user, with the framework to go in there and, and populate various pages on the CEO Radar platform and such. So we're not scoring CEOs ourselves, but we're providing the framework based on our experience through which to score people. If you want to get into the nitty gritty and really score a particular CEO, not so much the company now, because you can do both on our platform, but if, if you want to score the CEO, the framework we provide is the 42 attributes, that, that predefined set that I created and that over time we'll add to. As I think of new attributes that I think make sense, I'll add to the data set. I hope we have hundreds of attributes over time to the extent it helps us, you know, us, the platform, the, the, the public form, CEO Raider, to the extent that adding more attributes makes the form smarter about scoring CEOs, then I'm all for it. So I thought what make, would make sense would be to probably take this in two parts. So we have four different attribute types, four attribute categories that speak to a CEO's management style. I'm just going to do this on the fly. So the, the, the first category that I'll talk about today, we'll pick two. We'll talk about personality related, and then I think strategy and tactics, those two categories. So on the, on the personality side, we have a number of different attributes. I'll go through them, and we'll just sort of riff on this stuff. To the extent I could share experiences with you, I, I will do so. So the, the, the first one in the personality related category, the first attribute is strong leadership qualities. I can't tell you how important that is. Think about the CEO in this case, since we're talking about CEOs, CXOs for the most part, but I could talk about this can speak to any sort of manager, anybody in a leadership position. From my experience, there have been a number of occasions where we've come across, and I remember now this is sort of within the context of me as a sell side analyst covering public companies. So I knew the CEOs. I wasn't in a company insider. So I didn't know these people intimately. I don't I didn't know them on a day-to-day operating basis, but knew them well enough. Strong leadership qualities to me is, and we did a post on leadership previously, but it's about courage of conviction. That's a, that's a big one. So having the courage to, as a public company, tell Wall Street that what they had modeled in the out years, those forecasts are a little too rosy on the profitability line because you're going to invest. And it doesn't mean you're going to take margin south. They're not, they're not going to be net negative versus where they are today but they're gonna grow at a lesser rate because you're gonna allocate several million dollars to a new product. You've done your homework, you don't have a ton of data points, but you've got enough. You've been around the block a few times as a CEO, as has your, your leadership team. You have strong direct reports, the data looks good, and you, there's this consensus amongst the operators that we ought to go in this direction and push out this product and start to sunset the other product. And you know Wall Street's not gonna be thrilled not that you've set expectations previously. You, you haven't, but they've all sort of built their models up and to the right for the next three years. So they're looking for, you're going to do a dollar this year. They're looking for a dollar and 10 cents in earnings next year, a dollar 25, two years from now, and a dollar 50, three years from now. And instead, you're going to shave a few cents, maybe a dime off of earnings in each of those three out years to make way for this product the marketing that will accompany it that may require a bit of an educational sale to a degree 
So you're going to bake all that in there. You're going to bake some conservatism into your estimates. So you're not taking down your guidance. This is your initial guidance. And you know you're going to get beat up a little bit. Stock's not going to get cut in half, but maybe it trades off 10%. You're a fast grower. Maybe the stock's a little bit expensive. It's sort of priced for perfection or close to it. And so this will be a disappointment. Again, you didn't miss. It's not that people are going to lose faith, but it's like, ah, earnings aren't going to be what we thought. The stock's going to be a little bit more expensive. Maybe there's a little bit of a sell-off. And you know that once you start executing, let's assume this product gains traction, once it starts executing and that execution manifests itself in the numbers, you start to see new customer ads, you start to see monthly active users tick up if it's that type of, of offering. You know the stock will, will pop up, so you're not concerned with much in the way of near-term dislocation, but still... There's a little bit of sensitivity around it. Maybe somebody in the board meeting had some questions around it. Maybe most of the board's in alignment. Everybody at the end of the day, a majority of the board's in alignment. Maybe, maybe there's one guy on the board that's kind of noisy in the other direction. Maybe there are one or two guys on the board who are eh, sort of non-committal, and you'd like to get rid of them anyway. And then the other four or five people on the board, you're generally supportive. So you're looking to prove those wrong who aren't full believers. And It's not easy. It's the type of thing that can keep you up at night. But a strong leader is going to push forward. They're not going to say, well, the street's not going to like it. Maybe we can just milk a little bit more profit out of the older product. Maybe we can give it a slight incremental refresh. Why do we need to move in this new direction? That's what a weak leader would do. That's a, that's a manager. That's an administrator. That's not a leader. So that's kind of how I think about that one. Looking at the company from the outside in. On the inside, obviously a little bit different. Obviously a little bit more self-explanatory. You want people in leadership positions to do what they say they're going to do, to have your back, to treat people with respect, to provide an environment, to do, to do great work. I don't have to tell you all what you should think there. I just wanted to share my experience from the outside looking in and what my thought process was as we built out CEO Raider. And look, with these attributes, when people are on the platform, they can interpret. What I didn't want to do was define the attribute in great detail because there's a, a subjective element to this, obviously. And I, and I want that that subjective element, baked into the tool and baked into the responses. This is not purely a quantitative exercise. The next attribute within the category personality-related is lacks moral, you know, and this is in reference to the CEO, obviously, quote-unquote, lacks moral character. That one's self-explanatory, but look at the case of Uber, the stuff that came out of against Kalanick, right? Uh, the sexual harassment charges, not so much against him, but... That, that, that was sort of rampant around the company. So so he had to, to know. you got to squash that stuff when you're in a leadership position. That one's self-explanatory as well. I'm not necessarily talking about fraud per se, although if you know of fraud, I would love for you to volunteer that information anonymously on the platform. That's where we can really add value. But it's just, it's 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 squishy moral behavior. I mean, you've, you've known it. You know it if you see it. Competitive. I can't tell you how many CEOs I met, and I just thought to myself, this person is not a competitive person. This person likes the job, played the political game well, was friendly with the board, friendly with everybody, but is just going along to get along, and there's a lot of them out there. And so let's use CERATA to smoke them out because investors deserve better. Institutional investors have to make the decisions, deserve better, and everybody out there who has money in a 401k who's providing institutional investors with the capital to invest, you deserve better. So let's smoke out these CEOs who are sleepy, who are driftwood, who aren't adding value. And again, this is, you know, when I, when I think of this, when I sort of think of, um, you know, a competitive CEO isn't going to be satisfied with the status quo. So I used to have colleagues 
who would define a quality CEO as somebody who, Jesus company always makes their numbers. This, this is a great management team. It's like, how the do you know that they're a great management team? They're growing the top line by 4% and profits by 6 or 7% year over year. That's a great management team. You know, what's the opportunity cost associated with that situation? If somebody's a quote-unquote great CEO and they're only growing by some meager amount on the top line and a, and a meager amount, if at all, on the bottom line, and you may say, oh, it's, you know, it's the end market. Well, I would argue it's the CEO and the board's job, and particularly the, the, the management team, starting with the CEO or quote-unquote the leadership team, as I say about quality management teams. They're actually leadership teams, not management teams. An effective CEO is going to say, hey, if this is our end market and it's only growing by 2%, let's find another end market. We've already made a home here. Maybe it's highly profitable. But let's uh, move into an ancillary market. Or let's move into a completely different market, a completely different industry vertical. You know, different customer set, different, I'm thinking maybe like, you know, go from financial services to healthcare as an example. But doing so maybe with an information services company. So a similar business model from a, a, um, a sales cycle standpoint, standpoint maybe you're selling uh, subscriptions or data. And you're selling it by number of seats, number of licensed users, X dollars per month. So the, um, the way revenue and profits flow back into the vendor look the same. So very different in market, but very similar sort of revenue model, P&L model. Sales cycles sort of similar in length and duration. Would probably require an acquisition, but hey, that's what CEOs get paid to do. Move out of the comfort zone, change the status quo attack the problem, take a new approach, sell into a different market. At the end of the day, you have a fiduciary responsibility. As a public or a private company CEO, frankly, you're managing other people's money. You're a portfolio manager, a CEO. And so it's not good enough just to make guidance. What is the opportunity cost? By playing it safe, what aren't you doing? What's the risk reward? And, and from my experience, competitive CEOs, Think about these things. It keeps them up at night. The next two attributes are sort of related, decisive and indecisive. Sort of self-explanatory, but nothing that investors hate more, and I'm with them, than an indecisive CEO. Well, we may do this. We may not do that. And they're not, they're not being noncommittal for uh, uh, SEC reasons. It's not that they don't want to disclose insider information. It's just they, they really don't know. You know. When you talk to these CEOs, a lot of their answers are noncommittal. And again, I'm not talking about Hey, what are unit sales in the quarter? This isn't not the, the, type, the type of thing I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about substantive operating issues. Customers, what are they interested in? Strategy, new products. Where may you invest in the future? How do you differentiate versus the competition? How do you plan to execute the go-to-market strategy? So those strategic-related issues, the sort of the execution-related issues, the tactical issues, stuff that CEOs can talk about e even during quiet periods. That won't violate SEC regs. You'll find many of these, these CEOs are sort of indecisive on these topics. Terrible. Don't deserve to be CEO if that's the case. Next two attributes similarly are, are related. Optimistic versus pessimistic. Look, you've got to be optimistic, I think, to, to, to not only sell a story to investors, but to sell your employees on the vision. And a little pessimism is, is fine in the sense that I'm sort of a, a, a trust but verify type of person. So I think it's great to, um, you know, you roll out a new product that does well. I think it's great to be 
happy and to sort of celebrate that small win, but to just not to not to be sort of satisfied with it, you know. So it's okay to feel good about things, feel your oats when you've had a a win, but to pepper that optimism with a little bit of you know realism and say, okay, you know, sort of good for a step, but let's let's measure this, let's test and learn. Where do we go from here? You know, good for a step, guys. Great win. We have a game next week. Let's get a day of rest and come back for a great practice in a couple of days. You know, this type of thing. So I think that that type of sort of healthy, keep everybody focused approach is, is great. But out and out pessimism. I can't say I've met a lot of CEOs that, that I would categorize as pessimistic. I've met, met a lot of investors who are pessimistic. Resilient, particularly important attribute for founder CEOs. You'll find a lot of uh, resilient founders in Silicon Valley that have been through the mill. Yours truly. I'm one of many. I, I could probably count on one hand the number of public company CEOs that I've met that I used to cover. You know, founder CEOs that took the company, their particular company, from zero to the first dollar of revenue through the IPO. And they know their company like the back of their hand. They know where customers are going to go in the future. They can sort of intuit their space. You know, Scott Share at Ultimate, we just did that, that podcast the other day. He's one. Bill Stone at SSNC Technologies, he's another one. From zero to the first dollar of revenue through IPO. In Bill's case, they did the two IPOs. They, he took it out, sold it to private equity, and took it back out again. And I met him on the second go around. And you just you build up resiliency as a founder CEO, particularly in the early days where nobody has the time, nobody wants to talk to you, da 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 You've got to sort of you know, prove yourself, prove your value. And then once you establish your, your value in the marketplace, things get a little bit easier. But it's a quality that... That I like, and if I were a public company investor today, that would be one of the one of my filters. You know, is so and so CEO of XYZ company? If they're the founder, you know, let's take that meeting. Let's for sure put them on the the list of companies we want to to meet with as we generate new investment ideas. Creative thinker, independent thinker, sort of related. Independent thinker speaks a little bit about courage or convictions, which is sort of why I included this attribute. I like CEOs who can think for themselves. And it's great to solicit feedback from your direct reports from customers. But hopefully you're using that feedback to take decisive action. Hopefully you have a strong opinion of your own. And hopefully as you gather feedback from your direct reports, it's not just you take everything in and then you point the ship in this direction. Hopefully there's a bit of back and forth with your direct reports. Hopefully your direct reports are independent thinkers. And hopefully there's sort of a rigorous intellectual exercise, particularly around issues that can really change the trajectory of the company. So that's why independent thought, I think, is, is critical. And this is why I've said in the past publicly, but I've said that I, I value intellectual curiosity more so than process. I'd rather get the thing right and not have process for the sake of process. Execution matters. You need process for execution to be effective for sure. But And then creative thinker sort of plays in with independent thinker, and I think is especially important with, with technologies. And frankly, today we're all technology companies. If we're not building technology product and services where we're using technology you know, i don't care if you ship lumber across the united states you probably have a an rfid tag on your on your cargo hull so everybody to some degree leverages technology and yeah i, I can't articulate it for you in great detail but i know that i've met a number of ceos over time that i just got the sense they they were sort of like water they took the path of least resistance 
you know, they didn't exercise creative thought. To, and to me, those are the people who, again, maybe weren't the most competitive CEOs. They weren't the ones laying awake at night thinking, you know, it's great we made our numbers. It's great we beat our numbers. It's great we beat the internal budget. It's good. That's the the important thing, the immediate thing. But, you know, what, what, what didn't we do? What approach didn't we think of? Did we miss a 10x opportunity because we just weren't, you know, smart enough in our approach or we're all sort of thinking the same thing? It was Bill Walsh's old saying, Bill Walsh, the late, great Bill Walsh, former coach of the San Francisco 49ers, if we're all thinking the same thing, none of us are thinking. So that's all for now. I think I'm just going to take these one at a time as opposed to sets of two. That's a lot to digest. See you all shortly. Everybody be well.